they tell me that life is an echo. Whatever you send out, it comes back. Whatever you sow, you reap. Is that true? Do you only get what you give? I don't know. We'll find out today. My name is Philip Brown. And I'm Stephanie Panu, and this is PS Talks Co-op, the podcast and talk show for management co-op students at U of T Scarborough. Well, Stephanie, it's another Friday. We're back together. How are you feeling today? Feeling great. It's sunny. I can't wait for this weather. It just makes me want to go, I don't know, on a run. (laughs) Yeah. Where are you going to run to? That's the question. Where are you going to run to? And if you're running around to all these places, will you be right back where you started at the end? Mm. Yes. Yes. These are questions. Maybe that's a good place to start because I feel like it's full circle for me today. Why is it full circle? our guest today there's so many circles when i think of this guest i think of circles completions things that go round and round and our guest today is malcolm billing and students you know out there i mean some of you may know who malcolm billing is some of you just know his work so we'll welcome malcolm welcome to ps talks oh thanks so much philip stephanie so great to be able to join you here today among other things, you currently have a job that intersects, that works in the co-op office. Tell us what you do right now. Yeah, so I am a work-term project consultant, which means I mark all of the work-term projects. For every student who goes through co-op, for each of their co-op terms, they need to complete a work-term project. And I, together with someone else, we go through and we get the chance to mark these, give students feedback, coach them through all of the stuff related to those projects. Tremendous. Give us the origin story. You know, where did you start off? What brought you here? And remember, this is only a short podcast. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I've, you know, my career has gone on long enough that I could spend the entire time just telling my story. But at a high level, after I graduated from university, spent a bunch of time working in different parts of the world, in India and Ghana, and landed back in Toronto and actually started working with the University of Toronto in their engineering internship program downtown, and then moved on to the Scarborough campus. And I spent probably nearly 12 years working in management co-op as a staff member alongside Philip. And as a side note, One of the very first co-op site visits I did was actually with Stephanie's older sister was one of my first site visits with with Annie. And so not only, Philip, have we been colleagues for many years when I worked in the co-op office, I have that connection with, with Stephanie. I love that. I feel like I don't know my sister at that age because she did accounting and all she did was study in her room or just spend all of her hours at one of the big four companies where she worked at the time doing audits. So I feel like you probably have a better idea of what my sister's life was like at that time. (laughs) Awesome. This is like a Post Malone song. I feel the circles just going round and round and round. Okay, so to add to Malcolm's origin story, he has done every job there is to do in co-op, right? If there's a book on co-op, he wrote it and he made the paper from a tree. That's how long he's been part of this program. So I'm honored and humbled to work with Malcolm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it may be corny, but it really is the opportunity to to connect with the students. And and I think the thing that I love most about co-op was those experiences of going from meeting them in first year and the work term prep class through the work term, seeing them graduating and just seeing that incredible growth and development. And while now I don't get to have that same sort of journey, having these opportunities through the the co-op work term projects to still have those touch points and to be able to coach, particularly as students do their their third work term project, which is a presentation, just to be able to hear their experiences, but also see, I think, the level of insight and analysis that they bring and how they've grown, where they're going in their careers. It's just pretty cool. Now, I've had students ask me, do the presentations really matter? Do the projects really matter? So can you tell us why we actually do these? Is it just to check a box or is there meaning behind them? Yeah, that's a great question, Stephanie. So on the one hand, each of your co-op work terms is for credit. And so what that means is, hey, yes, we do need to have academic work connected to the project. But I think there is greater value beyond that. Really, the heart of the co-op projects is the opportunity to have a proactive stance towards your workplace, that it's not simply a matter of coming in and going, let me do what I'm told and that's it, but rather being able to lift your eyes up and to see the bigger picture and ask the question of where can I add value? Where could this organization get better? So I think there's an analytical component. But I think the second key component is to hone the communication skills, which is going, I think it's easy to see problems in a workplace or to see things that could get better. Frankly, I see, you know, lots of stuff where I'm always going like, oh, this could be fixed or this could be fixed. But I think the greater skill is to communicate that persuasively so that your boss or your boss's boss is actually going to be able to say, man, that's a great idea. I'm going to buy in. And so I think that persuasive skill set is really valuable. And frankly, in, in my workplace, but also as I talk, have talked to alumni and just really seen the world of work, this is a skill set that is critical to long-term success in a career. So again, I've had students who have said, actually, those skills that you use in the co-op project, like they actually are really valuable. And I know a number of students who this is a great example that they use in interviews. It's sort of a nice sort of place to sort of bring that in. Again, if you're ever doing case interviews or the like, you know, this really ties in well there. So all that to say, I think there's a lot of value to these projects. And again, my sense is obviously their work. But their work that is honing and developing skills that are critical for for today's workplace. And especially, too, when I think about the presentations, you know, you might see how you can make a change at work, but you might not feel ready. You might not feel comfortable going to a manager you've only known for four months and say, this is what I think needs to get changed. So they kind of get to practice in that presentation if they don't feel comfortable bringing that up at a workplace. So ultimately... What would you want students to get out of these experiences? My hope is confidence. Like, as you said right there, Stephanie is going, okay, you know, this is an opportunity to dry run this with very little in the way of consequences. I don't fight. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to fire you. <laughs> I don't have that kind of power. So I think in, in, the, in the one sense, it's going, okay, this is a low consequence. It isn't going to affect your grades or whatever. So it's, a, it's an opportunity to try things. I would say the other piece would be one of the biggest things that I found as a coaching opportunity for 
students doing these projects is to actually put themselves in the shoes of their manager or their boss's boss when they're doing the presentation. The way I like to say it is when you are pitching an idea, chances are good you are not the first person to have that idea, right? The idea is probably not new, but there is a reason why it hasn't been implemented. There's an obstacle, there's a question, there's uncertainty, there's doubt. There's something that is blocking that idea, that initiative from coming to fruition. And so as a student, I think being able to go, what is stopping my manager from saying yes to this? And how do I communicate persuasively in a way that I can overcome or address that obstacle? That's so valuable. If you know how to do that, man, you're going to go far in your career. Looking at the second and third work term projects, what are the key components? What makes a good second essay or a third work term projects? Yeah. So I would say, don't wait until your work term is done in order to start writing it. I think the single most important part of a good project is a good idea. And so my advice to students is start thinking day one, week one, about what might opportunities be. And so for me, the way I would do it is journal or whatever, just sort of jot down a couple of capture bullets and kind of go, well, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. You're likely to land on a good idea for a project if you have several ideas to choose from rather than going with the first one that comes to mind. And I think in terms of what makes a good project, what are some of the elements? Again, you have an idea of either a business opportunity or an opportunity to improve. You are looking in both the, the written report and the, the presentation to analyze the situation, describe the root cause. What I would say is think about why this is happening. What is causing this situation to be? And then suggest a couple of alternatives that will address that, that could sort of solve the problem or make that opportunity into realized business. Analyze that with a cost benefit analysis, looking at what are the dollar figure costs, what are the dollar figure benefits, and then land with, therefore, here is my recommendation coming out of it. I've had a lot of students ask me, how can I create a cost benefit analysis if I don't think that there's any cost associated with my change? What advice would you give to those students? Yeah. So I would say that the vast majority of projects are what I would describe as projects related to efficiency. There's a better way to do something, a faster way to do something. And so if we think about whatever it is, normally there is time that's going to be invested to set up this new way of doing things. And then there's going to be savings in terms of how much time is spent sort of going forward. And what I would say is, you know, you can calculate the value of time, right? And the value of time to your employer is sort of your salary or the salary of everybody who is involved. And then what I would do is I would look at what is the savings? If it's gonna save you 20 minutes every day for the next year, We'll calculate that over, again, it's simple math. The other thing I would say, just as you're looking at sort of those calculations, sometimes you're going to be making an assumption. So it's saying like, okay, I, I'm making an assumption that it's going to save me 20 minutes. Or if you're making a recommendation around, hey, a new way of doing training, your assumption might be, hey, you know, it'll save me if, if you're working for a public accounting firm on my first three files, 
it'll save me an hour on each file. Multiply that by the number of students, you, you get the idea. I'm not looking, and I don't think students need to be thinking, hey, I need to get that assumption 100% right. That's, that's not what we're looking for here. But what we're looking for is that those assumptions would be reasonable and that they would be helpful. And I would say the second thing is be conservative. Think about your audience, particularly if you're working in finance or you're working in an accounting firm. These people are by nature not generally big risk takers. And so if all of a sudden, if you're overestimating all the benefits and underestimating all the costs, that's going to lose trust of your employer. One of the things I have observed sometimes is students will do the analysis and they will reach the end of their project and they'll go, the analysis says this alternative one is the right choice, but everything in my gut says that alternative two is the choice. If you're in that position, there probably is a benefit or a cost that you're not actually factoring into that calculation. And so my suggestion is, if you trust your gut, if your gut is saying that, there's a reason for it, and then just go back and say, how do I factor in what my gut is saying into the numbers? This one presentation that does come to mind of a student who is working in a technology project control office in a large financial institution, and they were making some very substantial recommendations to the entire way their organization was structured. When he first started, I was like, whoa, this is a bold presentation. You're not like, often it'll be like, there's something small that'll say 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. They were suggesting a full reorganization. What I loved about it was as they ran through it, there was an open-handed posture to it where they were sort of saying, okay, I'm not trying to convince you with my passion or my zeal or like I'm gonna success for that student didn't come from getting the person to say yes success came from really making clear what the challenge was and further calling out some of the systemic issues that in my observation probably were not being talked about in the organization he had the confidence to say hey there are some real issues going on here that that need to be addressed and at the back end of his presentation when he got to his recommendation he called out you might be thinking about this reason not to do it. You might be thinking about this reason not to do it. You might be thinking about this reason not to do it. And he walked through all of those. And I think that just blew me away because what it said was this was somebody who not only knew their stuff and, and again, knew the content that they were talking about and talked about it passionately, but actually they had an understanding of what goes into organizational decision-making, what goes into an organization saying yes to a major restructure and recognizing that, again, there is complexity that if you're success, suggesting changes to technology that impact with more experienced folks who maybe aren't tech savvy, that is a genuine dilemma. That is something that needs to be seriously wrestled with. And so I think that understanding of their employer's context really blew me away. And again, while I don't know where what he has gone on to do, my bet would be that ability to understand other people's perspectives, understand the different play, pieces at play in an organization, mean that, again, almost in whatever context he found himself in, he's going to be able to communicate in a way that's going to convince people to act and follow his opinions. A lot of students come to me and say, well, I'm just not going to do it. 
forget about putting an effort in. Steph, have you heard this too? No, I've never heard this before. <laughs> there are some consequences for not doing them. I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware of those, but Malcolm, you, you can talk about those if you're aware of them. Yeah. So I would say, first of all, my understanding is in order to continue for a future work term associated with co-op, you need to complete that work term project. So if you want to go on to do your second, you need to complete your first work term project. So I think for most people, they're going, hey, I want more work terms. That's that's pretty straightforward. But I think the conversation is often when it's that third or a final work term project is going, well, I'm graduating why do I need this on here? And what I would say is in order to graduate from co-op, you do need to have completed all your work term projects successfully. The big thing that always strikes me is right now, you might not have any interest in applying to graduate school, doing an MBA or something else afterwards, but don't underestimate where you're going to be in 10 years or in five years or in 20 years. And so that opportunity when if you're ever going to go to grad school they're going to ask for your transcript and what will show up on your transcript will be a, a non-credit for that co-op work term and so my comment is even if there's a 0.005% chance you just want to to make sure that your transcript looks really excellent for grad school. And I think after we've discussed all of this and you've kind of proven sort of that passion that comes in and the reason for these projects, hopefully students will kind of, you know, see, oh, wait, they actually do matter. And it's not just because I want the credit. It's because it matters for my future career. So thank you for explaining all of that. I think it's very easy with parents, family, peers, we all get the messaging of what success looks like to other people. And, and again, that's neither good nor bad, but I think you will be happiest if you reflect on what that actually means to you. I love that. Thank you, Malcolm. My name is Philip Brown. And I'm Stephanie Panu. Thanks for listening. This episode of PS Talks Co-op was produced by Abinea DeHall with editing also by Abinea. Special thanks to the entire management co-op department, and especially to Philip Brown, Stephanie Panu, and Malcolm Billing. Okay, students, we just love making this podcast for you, and we hope you're getting value from it. Currently, new episodes are deployed weekly on Spotify. So if you want to be notified as soon as new episodes become available, follow PS Talks Co-op on Spotify. Just hit that follow button and tell a friend about the show too. If there's a topic you want covered, feel free to send us a DM on Instagram at UTSCMGMT. This show is for you and we value your feedback. Thanks again for listening.